and welcome to Speak a Dogcast. My name is David Farb, Animal Behavior Specialist, and I'm broadcasting from WOUF Woof Studios in beautiful Palm City, Florida. Thank you so much for joining me again. Hey, if you haven't clicked that subscribe or follow button, go ahead and do so. New episodes come out every Wednesday morning. You guys are going to want to check them out. Yes, and today on the show, we have excellent segments lined up. The first one's going to be A New Hope. Yes, we're going to be talking about rescue dogs and the fact that there is a lot of hope when working with them and creating a good cohesive family. Then we're going to have our guest spot. And today's guest is from the Big Dog Ranch Rescue down in Loxahatchee, West Palm Beach area, Florida. And Brett Simon will be joining us. He's the director of the Veterans Dog Training Program there. And uh, he originally started the Canines for Warriors program. And we really had a great conversation. You guys are going to want to listen in on that. Then comes the Breed of the Week, followed by the listener Q&A. And if you guys have questions for that listener Q&A, don't forget to email me, questions at speakadogcast.com. Hey, you can also just message me on Instagram, comment on a post, had questions coming in from all different uh, angles, so send them on over, dog or animal related. I'm happy to answer them and feature it on the podcast. Don't forget to follow me on Instagram, guys, at speakadogcast. A little behind on my posts. I've got a couple I got to get up there. So there'll be posts coming in the next few days and some great training information going on there. Uh, But let's get going with today's show. But before we do, I have to give you today's trivia question. Today's question is going to be, what part of a rodent never stops growing until it dies? Yes, what part of a rodent never stops growing until it dies? I'll give you the answer to that question somewhere in today's show. So stick around, sit, stay, and enjoy the podcast. Next on Speak a Dogcast, A New Hope. No, we're not talking about Star Wars today. Sorry to disappoint you, Star Wars nerds. But hey, I got you to read the description or listen to the segment, didn't I? (laughs) Yeah, it worked. You Star Wars nerds, you're predictable. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm just joking. Look, I am a nerd too. I can relate. Obviously, I'm a dog nerd, if that hasn't been (laughs) been made obvious by now. Uh, But I'm a Star Trek nerd. I am a Trekkie. I'm willing to admit it. I'm not a diehard diehard. I don't, you know, I don't dress up. I dressed up in the uniform for, I'll give you that. We used to throw a killer Halloween party years ago. And of course I had to dress up as a Star Trek nerd, but I mean, come on, one of my dogs is named Commander Riker. Is it not obvious that I'm a Star Trek nerd to some degree? (laughs) So I have an appreciation for, I can have an appreciation for you Star Wars nerds out there. Uh, Hey, y'all are diehard, aren't you? So hey, hats off to you. (laughs) But no, we're not talking about Star Wars. We're not talking about Star Trek. We're talking about dogs, of course, and we're going to be talking about rescue dogs and a new hope, guys. There is hope. There is hope when it comes to your rescue dog. And, you know, we're going to talk about uh, that hope. (laughs) How do we turn hope into something tangible, into a better dog, into a more well-adjusted dog, into a confident dog, right? How do we get this rescue baggage to go away and make a well-adjusted dog? Uh, and not just how, but like, you know, the fact that it is possible, it, it is, it is a rea- it can be, should I say, a reality for you. Now, guys, we all know rescues, I've talked about it how much now recently, because in the past year or two, rescues are at an all-time high because of coronavirus and isolation, all these different things. Everybody's looking for companions, for buddies, for family members, and we're doing so with pets, and I think that's an awesome thing. I really do. But... <laughs> That in itself comes with its own baggage and that maybe some of us are adopting dogs who shouldn't be, 
whether it's our lifestyle that doesn't really go with it, or or maybe you just shouldn't have a pet. <laughs> That's just the truth. Uh, or maybe we're just not getting the right dog, the right breed, the right energy level matching for our lifestyle, right? Um so there, there is that side of it. And hey, that's why it gives me work, doesn't it? And that's fantastic. But, uh, you know, we got to talk about that, that, that hope side, that new hope. And when it comes to a rescue dog, you know, guys, a lot of rescues out there live by the 333 rule. It's a great rule. The 333 rule, if you're not familiar with it, is three days, three weeks, three months, right? And those are the different adjustment periods for your new rescue dog. After three days, you know, they start feeling somewhat comfortable and adjusting to their new environment, recognizing who you are. Maybe after three weeks, they're starting to actually eat what, you know, eat on a regular basis. Um, they're, they're starting to feel a little more like maybe it's home. And after three months, they're becoming a lot more acclimated, a lot more used to you. And that is a generalized rule, right? It really is. But the sad thing is, there are a lot of people out there who don't give a dog three hours, let alone three days or three weeks or three months. And I'll be honest, guys, the biggest thing when it comes, here, here is the biggest component when it comes to rescue dogs and making that transition smooth. You want to you know what the biggest thing is? It's time. That's right. And that's why these rescues put out this 3-3 rule, because all the 3-3 rule is, more than anything, is, is time. These dogs need time to get used to you, to get used to your routine, to get used to your family, and to understand that they can trust you, that they can have a bond with you, that you're their fa- that you're friends, that you're family, right? These things take time. Think about it in the human world. You know, it's not every friendship or every relationship that just blossoms immediately into this into a great relationship, right? Most of the time, our relationships, our friends, they take time. It takes time to get to know somebody. It takes time to realize you can trust somebody, to earn that trust. And it's no different with our rescue dogs. You have to earn trust from your dog and your and, and it's vice versa, right? So that takes time. I can't stress it enough that more than anything, guys, more than anything, the best way to create hope for your rescue dog is to give them time. Now, I don't mean just like let them do their own thing and give them, no, no, create a routine, train them, create structure, provide exercise and give it time. You know, I can, I can really relate to this obviously because I've rescued dogs. I do this for a living. Well, duh. Uh, <laughs> but recently, recently, I mean, uh, last August, recently, um, my wife and I, we adopted Captain Nemo. Those of you guys that have been listening before, you know about Captain Nemo. He's my blue tick coon hound. He is coming up on, he's at just under two years old. And when we adopted him, guys, we knew we knew there was baggage. <laughs> the rescue definitely made us aware of all the issues he came with. And let me just give you the rundown laundry list, if I you know, of, of a couple of the things here. Number one, Nemo could not ride in cars without absolutely losing his mind, becoming incredibly anxious, barking, howling, pacing, drooling, everything. Number two, separation anxiety couldn't be left alone. Definitely couldn't be crated. That's kind of number three. Would not accept the crate. He'd go nuts, shred the dog bed, pee and poop in the crate at first. I mean, it was a nightmare. He did not walk very well on leash. Number four, we had no focus, nothing. He pulled, he was everywhere, he was all over the place. Let's see, uh, number five, was not completely housebroken. Number six, <laughs> um, I look, the separation, going back to the separation anxiety, I couldn't even walk out the front door, not even to leave, just to walk out the front door for two seconds, he would start pacing and losing it, even if my wife was home. Um, so, 
We knew countersurfing, number six, there it is, countersurfing. He countersurfed. He'd steal food, people food, dog food, didn't matter. He was grabbing anything and everything. Honestly, he had no sense of boundaries, jumping all over the furniture, on, off, everything, jumping up, batting you. He would kind of playfully try to bite you. I mean, guys, do you hear this laundry list? But the thing is, and again, I'm a professional. I can, I, I would hope I can see it better than the average person. When we went to adopt him, I could just see it. I could see the potential in him. I knew it was there. And it wasn't all bad stuff. At the same time, Nemo's very affectionate. He is. He's a sweet dog. Uh, he actually does very well with the other dogs 99% of the time. Played a little rough outside. You know, once he gets, once he can get running and everything, we had to teach him to reel that in. And, but he's a sweet dog. And once we really get all that train, everything really steady, and he's going to be phenomenal. And he has come such a long way. But you know what it's taken to get us there? Time, dedication, exercise, discipline, love, reward, all these different things that come into play to creating a balanced dog who came to us with a lot of baggage. Now, is every rescue dog like this? No, absolutely not, guys. Absolutely not. So don't let me, <laughs> I'm not trying to scare anybody away from rescuing. This is definitely more on the extreme end of a lot of baggage, but this is what it takes. And look, after a couple months, he's settling in so wonderfully with my pack. He really is. He really is. We still have a, a little ways to go on certain things. Um, but overall, he's doing so well. He really is, guys. And um, again, it takes that time, that dedication and knowledge to be able to get him to this point. Now, we were also told, interestingly enough, someone had, Nemo had been uh, returned, I think, two or three times before we adopted him. And one of the times, somebody had picked him up, driven about 10 minutes down the road. He went nuts in the car, of course. We, duh, we knew he was going to do that. And she turned around and came right back and dropped him off and said, nope. Guys, she gave him 10 whole minutes. 10 minutes. How can you even begin? That poor dog has barely known any consistency in his life. And, and this person gave him 10 minutes? Unfortunately, guys, it happens way more often than you probably even realize. Go, go talk to a rescue and ask them how often people bring dogs back within a week, within two days. It's unfortunately a sad uh, reality of rescue dogs. But... As the title of this segment says, A New Hope, There Is Hope, guys. And Nemo's not my first rescue. We've had a few rescues over the years. And they've all been a little different, right? They've all had some form of, of, of baggage, if you will. Some of them not as much as others. Uh, look, Fred. Fred was my rescue. I mean, he, he passed away. It's been like seven years, which is just crazy still to think about. Uh, we adopted Fred at nine years old. Fred had never been housebroken, ever. I housebroke Fred. Took me three months. <laughs> to housebreak a nine-year-old dog, but we did it. Fred also was maybe a little bit feisty at times. And I wouldn't call it feisty. I would more call it defensive because of the baggage he had. Okay, we got that to go away. I was told I would never be able to leave Fred out in my house with other dogs. Never could trust him. He was out with my pack. Yeah. I, uh, you know... Rescue dogs, guys, they get a lot of slack. And while it is true that they come with that baggage, to me, the thing that really is going to help you with your rescue dog is time. 
and dedication. Don't get me wrong. You can't just sit back on the couch and wait and expect your dog one day to flip a switch and (laughs) all of a sudden start acting like a good dog. It's not how it works. It does take dedication and time. Look, Fred, for example, I had to, this was actually before, this is when I was still working. I was at a different animal job, but I wasn't full time doing what I'm doing now. And so I had, I had a kind of night, I mean, nine to five, if you can even call it that more like nine to nine job sometimes. Um, but there were days when I was housebreaking Fred, I had to come home on my lunch break. I had to use my lunch break. I'd eat in the car on the way back to my house. Cause luckily I didn't live very far. Uh, but I had to use my lunch break to go home and let him out to, to teach him to housebreak him. And it worked, but I had to do what I had to do. It wasn't ideal. It was not ideal. I would have much rather have not had to come home on my lunch break. It's kind of nice. Don't get me wrong. Get to go home on your lunch. But it was a hassle. You know, it was. It was a hassle. But I did it because I loved him. And I wanted to do what was best for him and best for everybody. You know? So that's the point here, guys. There's always, almost always, should I say. I don't want to say always. And here's, we're going to talk about this for a moment. But there's almost always hope when it comes to a rescue dog. Now, when I say the word almost, guys, here's here's the one thing we got to talk about. It's a little like, mm, almost. I'm a realist. I am a realist at the end of the day. And while I love animals, I, I you know, more, more than just about anything, I don't ever believe that a human life is less than, a, than an animal's life. And I know this can maybe be, oh, some people aren't going to like this. Well, I don't care. Uh, <laughs> I'm sorry. This is my opinion. This is my tradition. This is what I'm going to say. Dogs can be a dangerous thing, guys. They can be. You know, that's just the reality of it. They're an animal and they're a domesticated wolf. With the right training, with the right dedication, with the right all that good stuff, we can absolutely minimize these things. Sometimes to, to not at all. But some rescue dogs come with a lot of baggage. And guys, I've, I've seen a lot of things over the years, you know, I and mean, that's just it. You see these things, you hear these things, you can't just ignore those facts. And hey, look, in all the time I've been doing this, I've really only had one dog, one dog that I would say was beyond help, way beyond help, guys. And I don't say that lightheartedly. I, I don't say that easily. I, that is with a lot of thought that was with a lot of work with that dog. And in 12 years, you know, I've been doing it 12 years. That's, that's not a lot. That statistically speaking, that is not very high. That's the amazing part right there is that most rescue dogs, there is hope for them with the right dedication, the right home, the right time there is. And again, guys, vast majority of these dogs don't come with this level of baggage. Thank goodness. They just don't. That's awesome. In my line of work, of course, I'm going to see more of it, right? It's just, it, that's a statistics thing. That's just a numbers game right there. My job is to fix behavioral problems. Naturally, I'm going to see a lot of behavioral problems. And I might see some of the extremes of this thing more often than the average owner. But in seeing these things more, they exist, guys. These problems are, they, they do exist. So, I just want you to be a realist. Now, most rescues, thank goodness, thank goodness, a lot of these rescues, right, are, are, are well represented. They have knowledgeable staff, knowledgeable people that work there that understand some, you know, the dogs that need more time, need more training, need more adjustment period. And that's why we can minimize these things because they work with these dogs before giving them to the average owner, right? 
that's where rescues do amazing, amazing work. And so you don't want to take this segment and go, boy, David in the, at the end there, toward the end of the segment, he's getting a little, ne- no, I'm getting a little real guys. I'm getting a little real. I'm not trying to be negative. I'm not trying to be, you know, any of that. I'm just trying to be a realist at the end of the day. And so there is hope for your rescue dog, but you have to put in time and you have to put in dedication. Okay. That's, that's, I'm going to keep coming back to it <laughs> because it's the theme of having that hope. There's always hope with these dogs. Look, and again, rescue or not, you know how many people I've seen that get dogs from breeders and just, they screw them up. <laughs> There's no other way to say it. I'm sorry. I watch owners mess these dogs up that are, that, that had no baggage and they create it. They create it guys. Why? Why do we do that to our dogs? I don't know. Um, and so that's just the thing, you know, it's not like, oh, it's a, I, I hate people who label rescue dogs like, oh, it's a rescue dog. So, I mean, I, I don't know about you guys. My rescue dogs are awesome. <laughs> they're, they're awesome. And like I said, Nemo has definitely been a bumpy road, but it doesn't make him less awesome. Makes it a little more difficult. <laughs> sure. Wasn't a perfectly smooth transition, but we love him. We love him. And we're going to continue to love him. And we're going to continue to put in that time and work that he needs. Okay. So, you know, look, if you're one of those people who's rescued a dog recently, you find yourself hitting a wall, you know, you're just, you're not quite getting to where you want to be with it. Then pick up a phone and call a professional. Hey, email me, you know, uh, we can do virtual training or if you want to find somebody local, just do hire somebody guys. That's what I'm at. Please. If you need that professional help, Do it because it's going to be awesome because you're going to get that professional help. You're going to make that dog even better. You're going to make your lives better, I'm sure, with maybe some of the baggage you're dealing with. Uh, Not always fun to deal with, right? Um, But hire that professional. Do what needs to be done. And you'll be so surprised. There is hope. There's a new hope out there. Okay? But you got to put in the time. You got to put in the dedication. Just like with anything. The more you put in, the more you're going to get out. And man... That is so true with rescue dogs. So keep that in mind. The more you put in, the more you and your dog will get out in the end. Are you tired of your dog barking all the time? Or maybe you want them to stop jumping on people when they come over. Or does your dog take you for a walk instead of the other way around? We can help. At The Nature of Training, we are committed to improving the relationships and lives people have with their pets. No matter what behavioral issue you are experiencing, from an unruly puppy to more severe issues, we can help. Offering a wide variety of services such as in-home training, doggy and puppy boot camps, doggy day camps, boarding, and now offering virtual training as well. For more information, check out our website, www.thenatureoftraining.com, or you can find us on Facebook or Instagram at David Paws. Located in beautiful Palm City, Florida, serving all of the Treasure Coast and North Palm Beach County. The Nature of Training, helping you achieve success with your pet. on Speak a Dog Cast, it's our guest spot. And today's guest is Brett Simon from the Big Dog Ranch Rescue, and he heads up the Veteran Dog Training Program over there. We're going to be talking about that today, so please help me welcome to the show, Brett Simon. How are you today? I'm good, Dave. How are you? Doing excellent. Doing excellent. Thank you, and thank you for coming on the show. Definitely excited to to talk to you guys. You know, I've 
reached out to Big Ranch myself. I, as, as some of my regular listeners might know, adopted a uh, dog, a blue tick coonhound from Big Dog Ranch Rescue, and very excited to be connecting with them on the podcast now. So, uh, so thank you again for coming on the show. And if you wouldn't mind, just introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about what you do. Yeah, so um, my name is Brett Simon. I'm the director of the Veteran Service Dog Program here at Big Dog Ranch. Um, currently residing in Jacksonville and commuting here to West Palm Beach uh, through the week. Um, I was formerly the president and co-founder of Canines for Warriors um, up in Jacksonville. And so with my um, leaving Canines at the time, Big Dog Ranch was looking for a director and they came and found me up in Jacksonville and had me come down and visit the campus. Um, and I enjoyed it. And my passion's been working with veterans um, since I came back from Iraq. So I was a dual purpose um, tracking explosives dog handler for the Department of Defense. Oh, wow, cool. And was at an Army infantry unit um, in Mosul, Iraq, and then Kalsu, Iraq. So my experience um, through that is what guided us towards um, the Veteran Service Dog Program um, that I originally founded and then down to here as well. And I handled a police dog for um, almost 10 years out of a 15-year career in law enforcement. So wow. always been around dogs and working with them um, and wanting to help out the, the guys and girls that are coming back. That's fantastic. And, uh, you know, I just want to start by saying thank you for your service. And I really appreciate it. You know, I always have the utmost respect and appreciation for all those that continue to serve, that have served our veterans. And uh, so I just wanted to say thank you. And um, so you've, you, you are, you're brand new at Big Dog, aren't you? How long have you been there now? Yes, um, I'm just here. This is going to be my fourth week. So fourth week. Yeah. <laughs> you're not kidding. Get the lay of the land and getting used to the dogs. Um, but it's a, a beautiful facility with, with yeah. a great mission. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, tell us a little bit about the mission there. So um, the main mission of the rescue, and I know you're going to have another talk with uh, some other people from the staff, um, so I won't give all that up because they do have some exciting news coming um, here shortly, but uh, is to save and rescue dogs and make sure that they are adoptable and, you know, stop the euthanasia um, is the main goal of the Big Dog Ranch. The Veterans Program is geared towards using the rescue dogs from the program to come over to our building where we have the kennels are a little bit more isolated and we can work with them one-on-one. Uh, -on -one. What we're trying to do is teach skills. We're doing basic obedience, obviously, because um, we need that to, for them to go out to be service animals. And then um, task-specific training for veterans suffering either PTSD or traumatic brain injury, a little bit of mobility, um, and military sexual trauma, which usually goes hand-in-hand -hand with PTSD. And so what we're seeing is as these men and women come back, they're not the same. Um, you know, they, they've gone through the tragedies of war yeah. or had their own um, battles um, within and they've tried other treatments. But the, the dogs seem to be a very common denominator um, to help them out and to show them that, you know, there is somebody there for them at all times. So the dog is providing, obviously, love to them. Um, it's also providing the task, though. So when the, when the veteran's having trouble, um, we teach a command for my lap, which is pressure therapy. So the dog is going to come and lay across the lap or be touching. Um, and science already tells us, and it doesn't have to be a service dog, you're petting your dog, and you're going to feel a lot better, and you're going to get a smile on your face and be happy. Absolutely. Uh, waking out of nightmares, um, different things of that nature. Uh, we teach a command for a startle response where the dog is actually facing the opposite direction from the warrior while he's at a counter or an ATM or something, and it'll notify the handler of somebody approaching from behind them. So you don't have that startle response. And there's numerous things. Um, I don't think, 
in, in my career, I still don't think we'll ever tap the full potential of what dogs can do for people, but we're going to give it a shot. And what we're doing now is working. Um, you know, it's our mission is to return them back to civilian life with their families. Um, or if they, you know, or for them just to have life, if they don't have a family out there. Um, but to be back out as a productive member of society and feeling good about it, not dredging going outside, which is the biggest thing with PTSD is none of these veterans, they don't want to go to the store. They don't want to go to their kid's soccer game or I shouldn't say they don't want to. They do want to. They don't they don't feel like they have the ability to. And when using a dog, um, I don't know. I don't know how many stories from my prior um, employment before Big Dog Ranch of veterans saying that they took their wife out to dinner for the first time in five years. They went to their kids soccer game, um, you know, that they've never seen before. A couple of them became coaches of the team and the dog actually becomes part of it. So we're using the dog um, to help them to get out and be productive and to be happy in their lives. And these dogs, all they want to do in return or all all they ask for in return is for love and a place to stay and somebody to feed them real nice. So (laughs) their dogs are very, very happy. Sure. That's good. And so tell us a little bit about the dogs. You know, what uh, what situations do they come from? How do you guys find dogs that are going to fit the criteria for your program? So um, we obviously have a large selection uh, from the ranch. <laughs> they have over 500 dogs. Wow. Um, but for a dog that is under three years of age, um, that's for the longevity of the handler. Um, at least 55, 50 to 55 pounds at a minimum, because we are doing a little bit of mobility. We want a, a sturdy dog. We don't want somebody trying to push down on a dog that weighs 20 pounds, you know, and try to get up. Um, and the breeds, we stay away from certain breeds um, because of the dynamic out in public. Sure. Um, it's not that there is a bad dog. We've graduated um, all of them, but we talk, I talked about just a few minutes ago, the isolation part um, of it. So if we give a veteran a big, I, I can give you a good example, a big six foot two Marine, um, you know, worked out all the time and everything and he had some mobility issues we had to get him a bigger dog and i found a nice american bulldog in a rescue and you would not believe the amount of people that moved out of his way it was like parting the red sea <laughs> uh, he enjoyed it because people weren't he didn't have to interact with anybody sure so that's actually the opposite of what we want we want some interaction we want some um conversation with the people so that you know they're not being isolated again so here they're isolating at home then you give a, a breed out that, you know, may be in some people's mind deemed dangerous or, sure. you know, not acceptable and they want to stay away from them. Um, and again, we're just creating a cycle. And I hate to say that there's, you know, that breed stigma, but it is out there. Absolutely. Um, but we still do use mixes of all of the breeds. We just try to stay away from purebred, um, big muscled um, dogs that are going to intimidate or possibly scare people out in public. Sure. Um, again, it's just a perception. I love all breeds and so does the rank. <laughs> But um, I found that that really was a legitimate thing for people and the veterans because I don't want that isolation. I want um, and we want as a program for them to be able to interact with people and not have people be scared of them. Yeah, definitely. And especially you got a big six foot two guy and then you got a big intimidating dog. You know? <laughs> Doesn't help. Doesn't help smile much. So. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> No, but that's cool. That's excellent. I mean, it, it, that's such an advantage that you guys just have this plethora of dogs to just choose from yep. and be able to find just the right temperaments. That really is fantastic. And and again, anybody you know that's listening that is in the area, um, you know, Big Dog Ranch is located uh, Loxahatchee, West Palm Beach area. And if you haven't seen this facility, you know, as I said on a previous episode.
episode. It's basically the Disney world of dog adoptions. <laughs> I mean, that's, no you, doubt. you know, it, it, those dogs could not be in a better situation in the interim of, of finding their home. Um, and it's just so fantastic that there's so many programs and especially this program that you guys are yeah. doing. It's, it's just, it's awesome. It's really neat. And, um, you know, I know you, how, how long, you know, and how long ago did you actually start canines for warriors where you, where you originally started, uh, uh, these that started in 2011. 2011, okay. Uh, up in Ponte Vedra, uh, Florida. So about five hours away, four, four and a half hours away. Um, with just a goal of my mom trying to help me um, get better from, because you can never really recover from PTSD or get rid of it. It's always there. You just have to find a way to manage it. Um, but it was her goal to get me back to what I'm asking these veterans to do, because I came back with a pretty, you know, pretty bad, according yeah. to my mom. Um <laughs> And so when I was at my happiest was always training my dogs, um, on the police department. And then for about 10 years, I was a Schutzen competitor, um, okay. nationally. So had a, a couple of dogs that were, you know, involved in that. So that was always, um, when I was at my best is what she would say. So, um, she researched this, came up with the idea for it and we grew it from three people to today. Um, I think they have, we're at about 150 some odd employees. Wow. And over 789 dogs graduated with veterans. That's incredible. Um, and about, I think the average right now is 86% of those veterans um, are still actively working their dogs. The other percentage have retired their dogs and maybe have come back for another one. We've actually had some finish the career with the dog and realize that they can get back out in public just with the support of their family too. Or, you know, they've gotten over their fears now of being out because of the dog. And they're not asking for another dog because they they would want one. They want the dog to go to another veteran that needs it because they've already had the opportunity to do it, which is the greatest part about our men and women is they're always looking out for somebody else. Yeah. And, um, you know, we got to teach them to take care of themselves first before you can help somebody else. And that's what our program has done. But I've seen that a, a whole bunch, which is let the, the other veteran needs it more than I do. Well, sometimes you need it a lot more than the person you're trying to hand it off to so that you can go and help them. So um, there's a lot of psychology behind all of it. It's not just dog training. A lot of times it's training the people, which all the dog trainers are listening. know that's the hardest part of dog training. <laughs> oh, preach. Isn't that the truth? Oh, my goodness. No, that's uh, that's incredible. I mean, it's just it's amazing the work you guys do and the success you can get. You can bring Um you know, it's, it's why we work with animals. Um, Absolutely. There's, just, there's so many things. And like you said, can we ever really fully get to their full potential? I don't know that we can, cause we're not as amazing as they are. Um, nope. <laughs> uh, you know, like I've, I've said it, I, I don't know. I don't know two people that can fight, you know, get in a fist fight and then be friends 10 minutes later. Meanwhile, I can watch dogs do that all the time, you know? Um, so we can, nope. we can learn a lot from them. Can't we? Uh, Absolutely. That's awesome. That's really, really incredible. Uh, yeah, I look when I when actually when I adopted uh, Nemo, you got I think you had you were just putting the finishing touches uh, on the building because we actually we ended up happened to park right in front of the the veteran training center, and so yep. it wasn't quite open. You hadn't done the ribbon cutting and all that, uh, so it was it just it looked. I was excited. I can't wait to actually come back yeah. down. I really want to see everything and, and see what you guys have done down there. Always welcome. That's awesome. Yeah. And I, you know, I have to ask, do you have any dogs of your own that are, you know, obviously you're very involved with, with, I all do. Of, yeah? um, I've got my retired service dog, Reagan. She's okay. uh, living, is actually turning 14, um, this year. And then I have my current service dog, Lincoln. Um, so there may be a common denominator there, Reagan. <laughs> 
Um, and he's just, he's going to be four in March. And um, so, like I said, he helps me with um, my PTSD, a little bit of mobility, um, picks items up. I've got four ruptured discs in my back and some other ailments from police work and, and working with um, DOD. So anything I drop, he picks up automatically and brings it back to me. Um, it, sometimes it can get a little crazy because I drop a pen on the ground or what. And I'm just like, I'll leave it there. I'll grab another one. He's pushing me, telling me, here's your pen, here's your pen. <laughs> Um, but yeah, those, and then prior to that, I worked two, um, different dogs in law enforcement and then two dogs, two different dogs in Iraq. Yeah. Um, I didn't keep the same dog cause that was a couple of years in between going over. Um, but the first dog retired and was, uh, given to a very nice home. Next dog went from Iraq to Afghanistan because he was really young and was still able to do the job. And, um, I needed to get pushed back to the States. So, um, lots of dogs. I've also, you know, my career before I was, buying dogs and training them for police and military to purchase. So it's always, there's always been a dog in, in my life um, from about the age of 19 on. Hmm. Yeah. I, I can't even imagine not having a dog in my life at all. I mean, at, at any stage, you know, just, it's just never going to happen. Uh, <laughs> well, I had cats at first. We weren't allowed to have any dogs when I was growing up. <laughs> I was the youngest of three and it took convincing my, uh, my, my dad actually had, he was, he left the country on a trip and that's when we went and got a dog. That's uh, <laughs> timing <laughs> yeah so I've, I've i've had a dog since i was seven years old granted you know i went to college and i had to get a cat actually uh because right. i couldn't have a dog in the apartment and she's still with us she's uh, about 17 18 years old now <laughs> yeah yeah she's she's actually the best dog trainer in the house believe it or not um uh, yeah i do believe that <laughs> <laughs> she's fantastic but uh but yeah that's that's great that's cool and uh, you know is there is there any chances for volunteering with this program or is really the volunteering more strictly for the rescue side or uh, how does that work? Uh, so, no, we do have uh, volunteers that come back to the veteran service dog side. Um, there's a couple of new processes when they come through, we're giving them a little bit more um, leash training skills and things like that, because we want the consistency absolutely um, with our dogs. Cause we're training, you know, three, four sessions a day and the volunteers might be taking them out in between. We don't want the dog to start walking, you know, pulling them on a leash and things like that because we all know that dogs are master manipulators of us. <laughs> they, they do a great job. Um, so, you know, we're giving them some more training, but there is some volunteer opportunities uh, on both sides of the house. And it comes down to either sometimes walking the dog around a little bit, cleaning, um, laundry, all the stuff that, you know, we have to do for dogs to have our towels and food bowls cleaned and stuff like that. And the, everything wiped down real nice. So the veterans come into a clean facility. Um, and then also the events that they have, there's opportunities anytime the big dog ranch has big events. So if you sign up, then you can be a volunteer for, um, they just did a, uh, Valentine's day, um, adoption event. So that went very, very well, but again, you're going to have somebody else on that can and talk about all the wonderful exactly. things for the adoption program and, and the ranch, Yep, awesome. but, um, it's going really well. And, and I really enjoy, um, the area down here. And I'm really enjoying the, the new job and um, helping the veterans that we have in. We've got 25 graduates of the program prior to me coming in, and we have five in training uh, right now. And we have 16 dogs in training for uh, veterans that um, are applying at this time. That's fantastic. 
That's I, I can only imagine it's just going to grow and grow, you know. Um, and you know, anybody out there, if you want to check out the website, it's going to be bdrr.org, uh, and that's Big Dog Ranch Rescue, bdrr.org. You can check out all the information. They've got all the info about the, uh, uh, the veterans training program, uh, Big Dog Ranch in general, and uh, and you know, like Brett said, we're gonna actually we're gonna have somebody else from the ranch on the show. We're gonna talk more in depth about them because really, there's just. There's no shortage <laughs> of events, of, of programs, of things that you guys are doing and just all, all amazing stuff uh, really is. So um, thank you. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you for your service. Thank you for everything you continue to do for our veterans uh, at home, abroad, everything. It's, it's, it's incredible. It's humbling. And I, I really appreciate you taking time out to talk to me today. No problem. Thanks for having us on. I appreciate it too. I want to get the word out that we're down here doing this. Excellent. Awesome. Awesome. Well, hey, and again, I'm I'm definitely going to be looking forward to coming down and checking out the facility itself. So, uh, we'll we'll Sounds be doing good. that soon. Awesome. All right. Thank. Well, thank you again, and uh, have a great night. You too. Next on Speak a Dogcast, it's our breed of the week. This week's Breed of the Week is the Hovawart. The Hovawart is a Foundation Stock Service Group member, and they come in weighing from 65 to 90 pounds. The Hovawart is a hardworking dog that is highly intelligent, and they have an even disposition about them with a protective instinct. They make an excellent watchdog, a great guard dog, tracking and rescue dog, really just an all-around wonderful working dog. Now, they are large, heavy-boned, and they have an instinct for guarding livestock in their home. They are a faithful companion and are fun-loving with their family. These dogs were bred for the farm life, though, so they need a job to do. And if they don't have a job, they can become frustrated and they'll make a job for themselves. And we all know that just won't end very well. <laughs> now, the Hovawart does require a lot of time, attention, and dedication from their owners. So they may not be the best dog for the first-time dog owner. They develop a strong bond with their families, and they need to be a part of the family. Now, the Hovaward is a healthy dog and can live to be from 10 to 14 years old. There are no known breed-specific diseases, and even hip dysplasia rates are at less than 5%. Now, for a large breed, that is exceptionally rare. And of course, this is a testament to quality breeding uh, in, in good stock. Now, the Hovaward is a very old German breed. And in German, it's more pronounced with the Hovawart, <laughs> kind of a little, little uh, enunciation on there. And the name comes from the old form of German, where Hova or Hof means yard uh, or farm, and Wart or Warkter means watchman. Now, during the early years, may have butchered that, I apologize if I did. During the early years of breeding, other dogs were mixed in, uh, such as the Newfoundland, the German Shepherd, and the Leonberger. However, since 1922, breeders have taken careful steps to bring back the Hovavort to its original line. Now, by 1937, the breed had been restored and was admitted to the FCI. As with many breeds, the circumstances of World War II placed the dogs in danger of becoming extinct. Various breeder groups came together, though, after the war, and, uh, you know, they used the few remaining dogs that they had left to revive the breed. They've gained some popularity in recent years and were actually admitted to the AKC in 2010 in the Foundation Stock Service Group. The answer to today's trivia question, what part of a rodent never stops growing until it dies? It's their teeth. Yes, that is, of course, one of the qualifying factors that makes a rodent a rodent. Those teeth never stop growing, and they always have to keep on gnawing. Next. 
Next on Speak a Dogcast, it's our listener Q&A. The first question today comes from Jill from Indiana. Jill says, I have a great wire fox terrier named Brady who has learned to walk on a nice loose leash. He can do his sit, he can do his stay, lie down, leave it, drop it, and has a terrier recall. Hey, I like that you got the core commands down. That's awesome. However, I haven't been able to stop him from lunging places he's excited to go. He can give me focus and attention, just not around distractions. Any advice? Thanks, and I enjoy the show. Hey, thanks for the question, Jill. Thanks for listening. Glad you're liking the podcast. Uh, Yeah, you know, there's a couple things you can do here. The nice thing is you've already got a couple tools under your belt, right? You've got commands to work with, and you've got some focus to work with. Sure, when that trigger comes around, maybe it's not the best, but you have a a foundation laid. Um, The first thing I would say is... Oh, well, a couple things, actually. <laughs> Sorry, kind of like, wait, wait, yeah, there's a few things. Uh, the first thing I want to say is let's start here. Let's start with desensitizing the leash a little bit, right? Most of the time, most dogs get very overexcited when they so much as hear the leash move or make a noise. Um, and so that's where the overexcitement is starting. It starts at the beginning. You know, most you may not be thinking that, well, David, there's no trigger around. Like, so what? He gets excited about the leash. Ah, but that's where it starts. He's going to get himself into that excited or maybe even overexcited state of mind. And so when you do come across a trigger and he's already there, you know, forget it. <laughs> You've already lost the battle before it's even begun. Um, so one of the best things you can do with a dog who does get overexcited on leash toward things is start taking some of that over or, or excitement or overexcitement away from the leash, desensitizing him to the sounds of the leash. Okay. So what you're going to do is just randomly when you're home throughout the day, you're going to go over and grab the leash and make some noise with it. Then you're going to put the leash right back down and walk away. Don't look at Brady. Don't give him just, just touch the leash and walk away. Okay. And we're desensitizing him. So that way he realizes just because I hear this leash noise doesn't mean we're going somewhere. The problem becomes if every time a dog or Brady, you know, every time they hear that noise, if it automatically means we're going somewhere, we're going somewhere, we're going, we're doing something, it's like overexcitement, 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 right? But if the leash can mean, hey, sometimes we're going somewhere, sometimes we're not, and you know, it kind of creates a little bit of calmness to it in that sometimes the condition, you know, what we're conditioning is is yes, going for a walk, something exciting. And sometimes it's just, oh, he touched the leash, so what? Big deal. Right. Um, so so that's where I want you to start desensitizing the sounds of the leash, the routine of the walk a little bit, so it takes away some of that excitement or overexcitement. Now, the next thing I want you to do is going to be, you know, look, you're, you're going to have to practice this, right? You're going to have to put Brady in moments where he pulls in order to teach him to not pull. Okay. So if you know some particular, uh, either it's a location, whether you're going to like maybe a dog park or maybe just going to the car creates overexcitement because he knows you're going for a ride. Um, or you go to a particular friend's house that has one of his best dog friends and he knows that place. So he pull, okay, you're going to have to set him up in these scenarios to fail in order to teach him to succeed. Okay. So I'm just going to kind of give you the example of, let's just say, let's, let's just use the car. Let's start there. Let's say Brady gets really excited to go toward the car. Now, again, you can use this for any place or anything he gets excited to go to. We're going to, we're going to keep the exercise really the same. Now, you're going to have your treats and treat pouch and leash and collar. Now, I hope you're using a martingale collar and a six-foot nylon leash. Got to throw that out there. Uh, Because, look, you're you're going to have to make a little bit of corrections and redirections on him. That's the reality of it. When Brady goes to pull, you got to make a little short, quick, in-and-out correction with the collar, okay? Or try just a redirection. But from what, from what I'm getting out of your question, it almost sounds like he doesn't even care about the redirections in those moments. And that's where we do have to rely on something more of a re, more than a redirection. And that's where it comes back to punishment a little bit. Okay. So we do have to use some form of punishment. Now, 
Punishment doesn't have to be anything horrible here, Jill. Uh, for example, if Brady's starting to walk, or excuse me, pull you toward the car, and obviously that's what we want him to stop doing, what you're going to do is actually turn around and walk the opposite direction. Instead of keeping moving toward the car, you're going to turn around and walk the other direction. Now again, feel free, little little small correction. There's nothing wrong with using the collar with a little small correction to redirect his focus away from the car, walk away from the car. Once you have his focus and he's not caring about the car, you're gonna give him a treat and say, good boy. If he calms down a little bit, same thing. Give him a treat, good boy. If he's calmed down, we're gonna turn around, walk back toward the car. He starts to lose it, guess what? Turn around and walk away. What we're trying to teach Brady is something very black and white. If you get overexcited and you lose it, <laughs> We actually go away from what you want. Now, really quick, guys, that's a lesson on punishment, right? If, the, if, if Brady wants to walk toward this vehicle and he gets overexcited and I keep walking toward that vehicle, all I'm doing is positively reinforcing that behavior. However, if Brady's walking toward that vehicle and he gets excited and starts pulling and I turn him walk away and give him the opposite of what he wants, I'm giving him something to work to avoid then. And therefore, I'm punishing and decreasing that behavior of pulling us toward the car. Okay, really important that we understand that. Okay, so Jill, make sure you know what you're reinforcing and what you're punishing. But really, it's it, it, you want to keep it simple. The more he pulls you in towards, towards something, the less you're going to move toward it. And in fact, you're going to walk the opposite direction. You're going to redirect that focus, get him to calm down, reinforce that focus, reinforce relaxed behavior, turn around, try it again. Okay, rinse and repeat. You can do these turns away from this as many times as you want, but Brady's going to start connecting the dots. Boy, every time I pull and lose my mind... I don't get to go toward what I want, but every time I relax and stay with mom, we keep moving toward it, okay? And that's exactly the point. As long as he remains focused and calm, you can keep moving toward that trigger, okay? Uh, another little hint, Jill, you can go listen to some of my episodes on the front door exercise, and I, I believe that was the front door exercise. I think there's even another segment. Honestly, I've got so many, I can't remember them all off the top of my head, but browse through. The front door is a great one because we actually talk about how to approach people and how to keep that controlled, and that you know it's the same concept, uh, as well as greeting people right? Greeting people. There's another great segment in there. You're going to have to scan. I apologize. I should have looked that up before I answered this, but hey, make you look through my podcast, right? <laughs> so definitely check that out the front door. I hope that kind of answers your question, gets you going on the right track. And if you have any more questions and any more trouble, shoot me an email or a message. Let me know. Next question. This comes from Donnie from Grand Rapids, Michigan. Donnie says, I have a four-year-old lab mix that I adopted from a shelter a few weeks ago, and he's one of the happiest dogs I've ever met. <laughs> he loves everyone and everything, but sometimes too much. And as a matter of fact, every time he greets a person, he immediately jumps on them. It's almost as if he was even trained to do this. What can I do to get him to stop? He's a very strong dog, and I can't seem to control it. Any advice would be awesome. Well, thanks, Donnie. Thanks for the question. Uh, yeah, you know, look, it sounds like it's a strong pattern. That's that's what, it, you know, he'd say. If, if it seems like he's been trained to do it, what that really means is people just reinforced the hell out of it. <laughs> that's I can pretty much tell you. Anytime he jumped up, they probably thought it was cute and said, oh, good boy, before you know it, your dog thinks, hey, this is what I'm supposed to do. I greet people, I jump on them. I greet people, I jump on them, right? And I get affection. Um, so yeah, you're going to have to work on this. You're going to have to kind of, you know, same, any, anytime we have a behavioral issue like this, guys, we have to set the dog up to fail in order to teach them to succeed. So we almost need your dog to jump or at least try to jump on somebody so we can teach him not to. Okay. So 
what I would say is find a friend or a family member, somebody who isn't going to mind being jumped on because it might happen, you know, as we're teaching and training your dog. Uh, it may not be pretty. So find somebody that can physically take that and be okay with it. Okay. Because he's going to try it. You already know that. Okay. So then what you're going to want to do is leash him up. Okay. Same thing as I just told Joe, make sure you got that treat pouch and the, um, make sure you got a martingale collar and a nylon leash. Okay. And what you're going to do is you're going to do the same concept. We're going to approach the person. Okay. And what I want you to try to do is actually head off this behavior. You actually don't want to let him really jump. Ideally, what we want to do is walk up, let him approach the person and let him sniff that person for a split second. Now I'm guessing the second he gets close enough, he's probably almost going for that lunge. So that's why the second he gets just close enough, you're going to take that leash make a small correction, turn and walk the other way and make him follow you and call him toward you. Come on over here, buddy. Okay. When he comes towards you and walks away from that person, you're going to give him a treat. Okay. Then you're going to ask for a sit, stay, wait, let him relax a little bit. And then we're going to hit that reset button and then we're going to try it again. Same thing. You're going to approach that person, let him sniff for just a split second, turn and walk away, redirect him toward you and feed him and tell him, good boy. You want to rinse and repeat this for, for, for this dog because it's so overexcited and he sounds big and powerful. Uh, Donnie, I'd recommend you repeat, rinse and repeat this at least like six or seven times with a split second hello, turn and walk away treat. Split second hello, turn and walk away treat. Then you're going to turn it into a one to two second hello, turn and walk away treat. One to two. And as long as he can stay calm and not jump, we can continue that two second hello. If he goes to jump, you immediately turn and walk away, redirect it, get him to sit down, try it again. Okay. And again, we're, we're just creating this concept of the calmer you are, the more we get to say hi. The second you go to jump, we turn and walk away. Okay. Pretty simplistic. The dog wants affection. So if you withhold that affection or don't even let it, you know, don't let him say hi, withhold the affection, that's the form of punishment we're doing. So we're teaching your dog, the more you jump, the more you don't get to say hi. The more you stay calm and relaxed, the more we stick around and you get to say hi. Now you can also take it up another notch here after you do these split second hellos, the two second hellos, the five second, then you can actually ask your guest or the person you're meeting to ask your dog for a sit and give him a treat. And that way we start creating a pattern of I walk up to a person and I sit down and wait for food or affection. Okay. Uh, but it's going to have to start slowly and you're going to have to the important thing is you keep those hellos to a split second hello to start with and build incrementally. Okay. Take your time with it. Um, but really the best way to do this is to leash him up and not let him get away with the behavior. Try to head off the behavior, redirect the behavior, and then of course, reinforce and strengthen once he does the right thing. That's going to wrap up the podcast today. Thank you so much for listening in. Click that subscribe or that follow button. A very special thank you to Brett Simon from the Big Dog Ranch Rescue for coming on the show on my guest spot today. You can check out their website, bdrr.org, for more information. Have a wonderful week, and don't forget, get out there and walk your dog.